0: IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, uh, to start off our conversation uh, regarding the ICJ hearings earlier on, uh, an ex attorney has already remarked hi, the presentation was legally brilliant, spoilt only by the ludicrous relief they asked for well, what do you make of that? And perhaps I'm going to put this to our guest who's joining us for the first hour of the show, Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, who's a practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. Advocate, a very good afternoon to you and thank you for joining us and taking the time to at least uh, stay with us for the next hour. Absolute pleasure. Great. Great to have you on board, Mark. And uh, yes, we are summarizing the ICJ's uh, first yearing uh, of the day. That's South Africa's genocide case against Israel. So much to unpack. There's so much to interpret. What was your overall impression of South Africa's presentation?
1: Yes, so... It's clear that an enormous amount of uh, resources went into building this case. Mm -hmm. Um, You had four senior counsel, two king's counsel, uh, three juniors, and a partridge in a pear tree. It's the biggest legal team (laughs) that I think I've ever seen, uh, ever. Um, You know, in the constitutional court, maybe you max out at five. Um, And so you definitely had some people who have a specialty in this area, John Dugard being one of the big professors of international law. Uh, Dile Hassim and to Megan Agatobi constitutional lawyers who I've faced as opponents on a few occasions Um, in terms of the substance of the case Mm -hmm. uh, there are some glaring problems so first of all uh, lip service is hardly paid as to the reason for why Israel initiated its attack uh, in Gaza so in one paragraph it's mentioned that um, 1200 people lost their lives uh, in Israel which is one of the grossest understatements one could imagine Mm. what you had of course was uh, hamas engaging in um, the most brutal attack against jews since the holocaust Um, that it was deliberately designed to torture uh, civilians to kill them to rape them to brutalize them and to broadcast that and then of course hamas have made further threats that they intend on performing on october 7th again and again and again south africa basically doesn't deal with this Um, the to get a sense of what the case is about um, it's really a two-stepper so the first step which is what we saw today is to obtain preliminary relief and the second step which could take many years would be south africa's claim that israel has committed genocide and then to have a declaration that genocide has occurred at this stage um, it's not sought that that be declared what is sought is um, basically an interdict which would prevent um, Israel from um, engaging in its military operations. Note that um, the relief sought by South Africa would not require Hamas to cease its military operations against Israel. Um, right. And uh, it, it would then also um, require Israel to not engage in what it describes as genocidal conduct. The other difficulty that the um, South Africa case has is to show that there is a um, Plausibly, which is the standard at the interim stage, uh, genocidal intent. So mm-hmm. what genocide requires um, is that there is an intention to destroy in whole or in part an ethnic group um, and that then there is the resultant action of uh, killing of the members of that group um, or um, other kinds of uh, attacks on them like um, uh, stopping births um, or uh, causing a mental distress. But the intent is the important part, right? and it would seem, for example, that uh, a state that was hell-bent on destroying an ethnic group uh, wouldn't warn its civilians that it was about to attack. It wouldn't distribute leaflets, it wouldn't send out um, WhatsApp messages, it wouldn't um, uh, create safe passage for them to move from one part of the country to another. Uh, We would also expect that the civilian death count would be much higher. Now, of course, uh, every civilian death is regrettable, but it's important to take into account um, the context of war. So um, in the current context, I think around uh, 20,000 people in Gaza have died. Um, the Israeli view is that about between seven and 8,000 of them are Hamas militants. Um, now, that means you have a ratio of roughly two civilians for every militant. Now, that sounds like a high ratio, but if we look at other conflicts, Um, And it's a particularly just conflict. So NATO sent in troops um, during the Yugoslavia war um, to stop the um, Serbian genocide Uh, and there the ratio um, of militants to civilians was four to one. So four civilians died for every militant. So um, it seems that even in effect, uh, Israel uh, isn't in a realm where it's uh, clearly trying to uh, destroy this civilian population of Gaza.
0: Indeed. Uh, staying on, the, on that subject, um, there's also, as uh, you've mentioned now, Israel has pointed out between seven or 8,000 of that number, yet to be verified for that matter, comprises of combatants, but coupled with the fact that uh, it, they, it has been established that uh, Hamas has used many civilians as human shields.
1: Yes, of course, that must be taken into account as well. So here's one way of thinking about the moral culpability of it. Imagine Mm -hmm. that you have a group of bank robbers um, who storm into a bank and they hold a bunch of bank tellers and customers as hostages. Um, And the police come in uh, with the intent of freeing those hostages and they shoot at the bank robbers and they kill some of the bank robbers, but in the course of it, uh, they kill some of the, the customers. Now, the way that our law treats that is that it's not the police that are liable for the deaths of those customers, it's the bank robbers, Mm. uh, because they have created the situation and they have used those people as human shields. Indeed. And so Hamas bears much of the responsibility for the deaths of those civilians, Um, not just in the sense that it embeds itself in civilian areas, like having um, command centers inside of hospitals and keeping hostages inside of hospitals, um, but also in actively stopping civilians from fleeing when they were told by Israel to leave. Um, it suits the Hamas narrative to have more and more deaths. Um, right. There is a, a sort of line that the Jews love life. Um, and that is a deplorable thing because rarely glory is found in the afterlife. And so Hamas will openly say that they love death, uh, that to be a martyr is to be glorious. And so you have this strange asymmetry where the Israelis think that all loss of life is terrible, um, that when innocent civilians die, whether they're Jewish or whether they're Christian or whether they're Muslim, that that is a terrible thing. That is not how Hamas feels.
0: Staying along, uh, along those lines, uh, Advocate, uh, you also have um, that saying in times of warfare. Um, sorry, sorry, I'm trying to get the, the term now. Sorry, I've just suffer, suffered a, blend, uh, a mental block. Um, when we have uh, unfortunate uh, numbers killed as a result of, of the war. Um, Surely now uh, that that doesn't also prove intent to kill civilians.
1: Yes, so there's a vast difference between uh, indirectly killing civilians um, in the course of directly intending on killing um, Hamas militants mm-hmm. versus directly targeting them. Um, so that kind of collateral damage that you find in civilians is regrettable, but is the feature of war, unfortunately. Um, whereas what we find from Hamas was the direct targeting civilians. Um, When you go into a music festival and you shoot up youngsters, um, there is no military endeavor there. There is no collateral damage. Right. That really is genocidal Mm -hmm. intent.
0: Right. Uh, Advocates, we're going to have to just break for a little while. We just need to get a quick news update from our news desk. Um... Thanks so much for what, what you're telling us. It's has been intriguing how we're unpacking this issue this afternoon. Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar, joining us on the line just to uh, delve deeper into these proceedings that took place earlier on in the International Court of Justice regarding uh, South Africa's uh, genocide case against Israel. Uh, Mark, if you can just stay on the line, uh, we will come back to you. Right now, let's just get a quick update from our news desk. Yes, Calvin. IFM 101.9 MHz of Life well, oh, the time's just gone, 4.31 by my clock. If you've just joined us, so welcome to the Afternoon Overdrive on 11.9 High FM. I'm Michael McKenna. Great to have you on board. What we are doing right now is just unpacking uh, for the first hour of the show uh, what transpired in the International Court of Justice this morning with uh, South Africa bringing this case of genocide against Israel. And joining us on the line is advocate Mark Oppenheimer, who's a practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar uh, Advocate, uh, Mark, thank you for uh, staying on the line. So, uh, continuing with our conversation, let's look at the speakers now, uh, if we can just unpack how they, how they um, delivered their presentations in this regard. Um, which speaker in particular caught your attention uh, regarding this uh, case against
1: Israel? Yeah, so it's an interesting format in that you had many people presenting, sure. um, and in a manner that uh, amounted to speeches. So just to kind of compare this to how it would work in South Africa or in the U.S. Um, in the state in America, when you when you present, um, someone would present for about a minute and a half at the Supreme Court, and then would be faced with questions from the court for roughly an hour and a half. Um, in South Africa as well, we have. Quite a lot of interrogation from the judges, um, and our proceedings are much longer. So we have been involved in matters that have lasted ten hours. Um, I will say that all of the speakers um, spoke very well. I mean, they are very accomplished advocates. Um, as I say, they they are some of the uh, uh, most experienced advocates in South Africa. Um, it would appear that no expense was spared um, uh, to prosecute these proceedings. Um, I suppose. In terms of catching my attention, um, one of the uh, speakers, um, Tameka Nagatobi, who's focused in on genocidal intent, um, there was Mm. something that I noticed, which is that if you read the South African case, one of the allegations that is made is that a former member of the Knesset, um, Daniel Neumann, had called for the complete and utter obliteration of Gaza. And so the allegation is that this demonstrates genocidal intent. Uh, the UK barrister Natasha Hausdorff, um, who's uh, published quite a lot on this, um, pointed out that um, Dan- that Daniel Neumann is not a member of Knesset and never was. Um, I did a bit of further research and it appears that he was a, a football commentator. Um, so Mr. Ngatobi I think, was wise in leaving this out of his oral submissions. Um, but maybe right. he owed a duty to the court to have pointed out uh, that there was such an egregious error in the papers.
0: W- uh, keeping with advocate uh, tembeka and um testimony while well, presentation uh, during this morning's proceedings um yes so uh, if if memory serves he uh, his focus was on individuals making uh, certain remarks about how they think the war in gaza should be dealt with and um Yes, it pinpointed, say, like, uh, comments from ministers and certain prominent individuals. Uh, isn't that a bit uh, so selective? Uh, it doesn't really reflect an overall view as, as, as to what Israel uh, takes regarding the war in Gaza.
1: Yes. So, for example, um, one of the uh, comments was made by a 95-year-old veteran of the Irgun. Um, where he sort of is giving like a, a rallying call to, you know, go and crush the enemy. Right. Um, now, you're dealing with someone who's <laughs> uh, clearly not an active member of the military. Um, exactly. The Irgun, by the way, mm-hmm. um, were not that well viewed by Israel. Um, so um, the Israelis had um, stopped weapons from from reaching the Irgun, um, that they were viewed as uh, um, kind of a... T- too strong unit in fighting against the British um, when Israel was seeking its freedom. Um, you also had some of those individuals who've made, um, you know, let's say, stronger claims about the current war, and it's understandable that people would be incredibly upset, given that many people have uh, family members or friends of friends um, who were murdered you expect tensions to be high, you expect people to say things that are strongly worded, Indeed. you know, things like, them. we must win, you know, that's acceptable. Um, but that when people have said things like we should drop a nuke on them, the Israeli state has condemned that. Um, Right, and so when you have had officials, you know, say things that you might say, well, that's unacceptable speech. The, the Israeli state has said we agree, and that person shouldn't say it, and they should be sanctioned in some way. <laughs> um, so if anything, that demonstrates that they don't have genocidal intent qua state, it's worth bearing in mind that the. The International Court of Justice is different from the International Criminal Court in -hmm. that the ICJ deals with disputes between states. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not about holding particular individuals liable for crimes, uh, like crimes of genocide. Right. Um, So, for example, uh, Omar al-Bashir, a warrant for his arrest was put out for his um, crimes against um, individuals in Sudan, um, and those crimes include crimes against humanity and um, uh, crimes of genocide. And of course, um, that name will ring a bell on many people's minds because he came and visited South Africa. Mm-hmm. And South Africa has an obligation under the Rome Statute uh, to have summarily arrested him and handed him over to the authorities. And the South Africans uh, didn't. Um, in fact, uh, he was uh, escaped away on a plane during the uh, high court process. Um, so it doesn't really seem that South Africa as a state has much respect for international law, uh, that it's uh, very concerned about people who are accused of genocide. I mean, I think within a week um, of of today's conversation, President Ramaphosa met with another genocide deer in Sudan, uh, Hamedi, and shook his hand quite proudly. Um, So there is a sense in which there is this pretense that South Africa enters this with uh, the moral high ground uh, when in effect it has often provided cover um, for people who have really committed genocide. I mean, also you had um, members of the African cabinet under the guise of wearing their ANC hats meeting with Hamas. Now, Hamas are described as a terrorist group um, by the EU, by America, by the UK, uh, by Australia, but not in South Africa. In fact, Hamas have a an office in Cape Town, um, and they were treated as uh, wonderful members of the resistance um, you know, to try and stop the settler colonial apartheid state of Israel. Um, so South Africa's claim that it is merely you know, trying to keep the peace or system, this mm-hmm. uh, just isn't true. It's clearly picked a side and it's picked the side of the terrorists.
0: And I'm certain that uh, Israel will certainly use exactly what you've just outlined our advocate in their uh, shall we say in their defence uh, remarks. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing of that later uh, in tomorrow's hearings. But there's something else I wanted to uh, run by you uh, during the course of the hearings. Uh, certain I can't re- I can't pinpoint exactly which individuals raise this but they were be- they were um, benchmarking this hearing against the Gambia Myanmar uh, case um, take us through that and uh, is is there is there any
1: parallel here is there any relevance to this yes so just to give you a sense the icj um, since its establishment in i think around 1947 has heard less than 200 cases so there are very few cases that i ever heard right um And one of the recent cases that is um, of direct relevance is that that case of it's the Gambia versus Myanmar. It's relevant in a couple of ways. Uh, One is on jurisdictional grounds. So um, the Gambia as a state obviously was unaffected by Myanmar's actions against the Rohingya. Um, And so one of the questions was whether it's entitled um, to bring such litigation. Uh, The other one is that it sought preliminary measures um, to prevent uh, Myanmar from engaging in genocide That case, in terms of the merits, whether um, uh, genocide has actually been committed, is ongoing. and hasn't been decided. But the preliminary injunction uh, was decided and was granted, um, and uh, Myanmar was cautioned not to engage um, in genocidal activity. What is different in terms of the relief that's sought in the present case with South Africa is that South Africa seeks this cessation of all military activities. That's not what was sought um, in the in the Gambia Myanmar case.
0: Okay. Looking at visual evidence presented during the hearings uh, earlier on. What did you make of certain uh, visuals that were presented uh, at the case uh, if I can just uh, if if I can just outline a few of them. There was one of the blowing up of uh, at least 30 dwellings uh, one of of uh, units celebrating how they're going to destroy all the enemies and uh, The other one of a relief truck uh, being brought into Gaza. Supposedly that was affected by Israeli activity. What did you make of those visuals?
1: Yes, so I think there is some value in being able to show footage from the ground. Um, And I imagine that Israel will um, show some footage tomorrow. Um, But there was a sense of trying to have your cake and eat it. So uh, Max Duplessis made this claim that they didn't want to show um any footage that would be alarming, um mm. and sort of mm-hmm. implying that in other words there are all these horrible things we haven't shown you. But there was much footage um of um, of dead bodies and of bodies being buried and Indeed. as you say the destruction of infrastructure. Um so there's a sense in which, you know, there there was the showing of that footage. I mean I imagine there is Very harrowing footage, as you would find in any war, and maybe there was some restraint to use in terms of what was shown. Advocate, I'm Um, so
0: sorry to have to cut you short there. I'd like to continue this. I'd like to just uh, create some kind of debate, uh, dialogue around that. We just have to cut for a short break, uh, if you can just stay on the line. Advocate Mark Oppenheimer practicing advocate and member of the johannesburg bar if you've just joined us welcome to the afternoon overdrive on one one point nine high fm we're unpacking what took place at the international criminal uh, justice criminal court uh, earlier on this morning it's time now for a short ad break stay with us we'll be back high fm your station of choice since 2008 Time's just gone, 18 minutes to 5 If you've just joined us, welcome to the afternoon Overdrive on 101.9 High FM I'm Michael McKenna I'm enjoying this uh, chat I'm having With uh, advocate Mark Oppenheimer Practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar, we're unpacking The proceedings this morning of the International uh, Court of Justice uh, South Africa, South Africa putting Its case to the International Court Of Justice regarding a genocide case Against Israel, Carol says Michael, I listened to it all this morning, it made my blood boil. South Africa should fix its own backyard before they worry about other countries. That comes from Carol. In the meantime, advocate, thank you so much for uh, staying on the line. We left off uh, uh, on that chat regarding uh, visual evidence being presented at this uh, hearing this morning. Advocate, if I can just run something by you, those three scenarios that I put to you, the one of uh, multiple uh, dwellings being blown up and... Um, uh, a relief a vehicle being brought in, uh, which has apparently been interfered with by Israeli, uh, by Israeli uh, um, military. And, of course, now we see a shot of, of a specific group of uh, IDF members uh, celebrating how they're going to defeat the enemy. Could that not lend itself to uh, propaganda? If you look at it carefully, there's hardly any detail in the truck uh, that could have been formed anywhere. The explosion, the magnitude of that explosion, it didn't appear on any of the major news platforms. And uh, regarding the uh, troops that were celebrating, that could be just like a select group expressing their views, which doesn't, of course, represent the entire you know feeling or, or outlook of the Israeli military. Your take on what those pictures uh, could have interpreted?
1: Yes, I think you're right that it's important to kind of zoom out and get a sense of the real context. Right. Um, so first of all, of course, we didn't see any of the footage, which was filmed by Hamas, um, of them uh, brutally murdering civilians uh, and raping people and things like that. So we just have the one side of the story. Um, in terms of why is Israel restricting um, you know, trucks entering the region? Well, unfortunately, Hamas has quite a strong history of uh, using the materials that come in those trucks uh, to build terror tunnels so that they can go and get into Israel and kidnap people uh, or build rockets so that they can go and uh, send those rockets into kindergartens so it's unfortunately the case that uh, Israel has to check what's in those um, what's in those aid parcels now I think it really is the case that there probably is um, a, a catastrophe going on for many civilians that mm. access to resources has been limited during a state of war um i think the moral responsibility for that lands solely at the feet of hamas who have created the situation uh who have received an enormous amount of international aid over the years have spent that money not on building up infrastructure they could have turned gaza into a little singapore I and mean, it sits on the mediterranean ocean it could have been you know a, a glorious shining light on the hill Uh, And instead, it isn't that. Um, You know, it is a place to to launch attacks on Israeli civilians on a regular basis. Um, So it is unfortunate that civilians find themselves in this terrible situation.
0: Advocates, when we looked at uh, the the speeches delivered earlier on, uh, there was an emotive angle to uh, used rather by by the advocates uh, during their presentations to what extent would you say that has been effective in their deliveries
1: well I suppose it's worth thinking about who the different audiences are of this court case I'm of the view that um, litigation has multiple effects, especially public litigation, international litigation, in that when you are trying to speak to those judges, you are trying to persuade them. I think judges generally um, are quite dispassionate people that we are used to hearing uh, as lawyers all sorts of um, horrible things, um, and we are quite interested in a cold assessment of the facts and a cold assessment of the law. But of course these proceedings are filmed, um, and they're filmed Really, to create theatre, and so mm-hmm. part of the purpose of these proceedings is um, theatrical propaganda to um, paint Israel in a certain light. And you know, if you just act as a cold lawyer, it's not as good uh, as a you know piece of theatre. So you know, I think adding in those elements of emotion um, is part of the, the theatre, so that onlookers are meant to feel some sense of. Um, you know, Israel being the the bad guy in this um, and South Africa being the morally righteous crusaders.
0: Advocates, uh, one particular argument that caught my attention, I stand corrected, it could have been Professor Blin uh, Negaralai, if I've pronounced uh, that uh, name correctly, um, bringing in the case, uh, presupposing, I got the impression, um, or rather creating... A basis, so well, an argument that uh, Hamas is not a nation, and what have you, and already saying South Africa is going to, you know, raise the Hamas question and uh, bring it into their defence. Uh, Israel is going to raise the, rather, raise the um, the Hamas question tomorrow. Could that have been a, an attempt to influence already the, uh, the the judges hearing this case to already presuppose what Israel will be bringing forward tomorrow?
1: Yes, we are in a situation where we're not sure what Israel is going to say and um, that they haven't filed written submissions um, as far as I can tell. Um, part of that has to do with the extreme urgency in which this case was brought. So South Africa brought its litigation on the 29th, 29th of December, mm-hmm. asked for a hearing with the first week of January, and ultimately got to this date, which is very soon afterwards. Right. I imagine had been preparing that litigation um, for a long time in advance, um, given that it's heavily footnoted um, and has this gigantic team. And I think part of that tactic was really to try and catch Israel flat-footed and make it hard for it to put up mm-hmm. substantive defense on paper. Um, On the substantive point, which is why I mention Hamas as a non-state actor. Well, I suppose part of this is because the ICJ um, would have no jurisdiction over Hamas because it's not a state. Um, And so it couldn't order Hamas to do anything. That's part of it. The other one, which is a claim I think made by uh, Professor Lowe afterwards, which is to say that um, the right of self-defense Um, cannot be invoked by Israel because Hamas is not a state actor. Now, that strikes me as completely false. Mm. If you read Article 51 of the UN Charter, it says that uh, none of the articles in this charter uh, will prevent a state from protecting itself and defending itself from any armed attack. It doesn't say from another state. It's any armed attack. Um, And so that is going to be, I think, central to Israel's defense is to say we are entitled to defend our citizens Um, from Hamas, uh, who have continued um, to attack us and pledged to attack us, who in their 1988 charter call for the destruction of Israel. Um, I don't think this is something that gets much coverage at all. It's not really said much, but um, hundreds of thousands of Jews have had to flee their homes um, in the north um, because of threats from Hezbollah. Um, You know, Hezbollah and Hamas are both funded by Iran. So you've got this continuing attack on Israeli citizens, a continual threat of Um, existential um, extinguishment Um, and so it's important that Israel is able to defend itself and it has you know international right to do so
0: advocate I'm so sorry I have to cut you short again Um, we have to go to an uh, advertisement break if you can just stay on the line advocate Mark Oppenheimer practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar joining us this afternoon on the afternoon overdrive in the first hour of the show just to uh, have a look at uh, What transpired at the International Court of Justice, its first hearing in South Africa's genocide case against Israel? Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Well, the time's just going 8 minutes to 5. If you've just joined us, welcome to the afternoon overdrive on 11.9 High FM. I'm Michael McKenna. Joining us on the line, Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, who is a practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar. Advocate, thank you so much for staying on in the line and uh, yes, uh, staying with us for the first hour of the afternoon overdrive. Interesting uh, discussions we are having around the speakers this morning who uh, delivered their case, South Africa's genocide case, against to Israel at the International Criminal, uh, J- Criminal Justice Court uh, this morning. Right, because I know I've already run this uh, question by you, but um, it seems that many of the speakers really harped on about uh, ethnic cleansing and exterminating a race from the face of the earth. This is the intention of uh, genocide on Israel's part. Do you think that's really going to hold, hold water
1: uh, in the final out- outcome of this, of this uh, judgment? yes just to disambiguate as i say it's a two-part case Mm. and so the question as to whether israel has committed genocide will not be determined in the proceedings that we watch today and we'll watch tomorrow Uh, they'll be determined in proceedings in many years to come Um, so that is not a question before the court what is a question is whether it should um, provide a preliminary injunction preventing israel from engaging in military conduct uh, or uh, genocidal acts now so the question is whether there will be an ultimate finding uh, on that front. And I think um, you know the, South Africa has sort of made it clear that it doesn't seek such a finding now. Um, and I think it will have a very difficult time uh, proving that kind of genocidal intent given the facts on the ground.
0: Advocate, I just want to run past some uh, comments that I'm receiving uh, on our colony uh, comments at the moment. Uh, There's comments uh, uh, from anonymous saying they are training in the South African mines tunnels to attack Israel via Gaza tunnels and Saudi grounds. And Jonathan says Hamas often uses old footage for their propaganda. How do we know the accuracy of the footage in the hearings? Well, that's exactly, uh, Jonathan, what we were running by the advocate earlier on. Your take on that, Advocate? (laughs)
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier in our discussion, there uh, was footage that was used during the rounds of Danny Neumann. The footage um, um, has a thing saying he's a prime member of the Knesset. uh, And that's the footage that South Africa linked to in its papers. uh, And of course, it's false. Um, He wasn't a member of the Knesset. He's a football commentator. Um, So there is a sense in which some of the extracts that are used um, may very well be either out of context or false. Um, sure and uh, you know by by having i think it's close to 500 footnotes you know it would require some time to assess all of that and see whether there are things that are inaccurate or you know chopped in a certain mm-hmm. way um, and hopefully israel will have an opportunity to address some of that
0: advocate of all the speakers who do you think was the, the the less convincing
1: of them all it's an interesting question i suppose it depends what they were trying to convince the court of um mm-hmm. And so I think, as I say, the, the person who has the hardest job in that front is really uh, Timberkin mm-hmm. Um An interesting example of something that came up for him was he relied on a song uh, that was sung by a group of Israeli soldiers. Um, right. And he puts it in the context of, um, um, I think it's um, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu referring to Amalek. So uh, the Amaleks were a kind of a biblical uh, tribe who um, had tried to annihilate the Jews. And so he sort of talks about them as you know being an ancient enemy um it's interesting that um jews in the 30s described the nazis as being amalek as well um and so you know he sort of invokes uh, amalek as a reference to hamas and so Tembeka makes this claim that um, well later in the bible it talks about how you have this strong obligation to wipe out um all of the amaleks to uh, kill their cattle and their women and their children, and that's really this is coded genocidal intent because you've got the soldiers singing the mm-hmm. song about uh, um, stopping the seed of Amalek.
0: Indeed. Now, I, oh, sorry, Advocate, carry on.
1: So <laughs> I thought you'd yes. pause it for a moment. Please, sorry, carry on. Uh, yeah, I paused for, for um, <laughs> dramatic effect, which is that um, some of your listeners who live in South Africa um, may be aware of the fact that Mr. Ngatobi. Um, appears in the kill the boer case in the supreme court of appeal and uh, now that case involves um alleged acts of hate speech by Julius malema where he sang a song um infamously known as kill the boer mm-hmm. uh, shoot to kill right um and there was, you know, took the line that, well, of course, this speech is merely metaphorical and, you know, how dare anybody think that this uh, shows any intent on uh, killing Afrikaners, despite the fact that there's much evidence um, of people being tortured to death and killed on farms, uh, kill the boer being written on blood and, uh, on the walls. Um, that uh, you know you have these terrible acts of torture and rape, uh, you know there this was merely metaphorical speech, so there's a tension between what Mr. Gatobi argues in this case and of course what he argues in uh, the Supreme Court of Appeal. Advocate very quickly, before we let you go, who is paying for this hearing? I'm not sure, and I think there's a couple of questions worth asking on that front right uh, the one is whether any of the advocates are acting pro bono. Um, so in South Africa, the custom is that if you act pro bono, you must inform a court of it. Um, I will say this as well, which is that um, in South Africa we have a rule called the cab rank rule, which is that as advocates we don't pick our clients. Um, that if you are asked to be briefed in a matter, and it is in your area of expertise, and you are available, and the client is willing to pay your ordinary fee, that you are then obliged to take it, regardless of your your feelings about that particular client. However. I hold a personal view, which is that in matters where you act pro bono, um, that that seems to be more of an endorsement when you volunteer yourself to act for free. Unless you say my pro bono hours are picked out of a lottery hat, uh, then you might think that the the advocates themselves have taken a view to endorse it. Uh, We know, for example, that uh, John Dugard, who is one of the advocates in this case, is a professional of international law, um, has uh, written much about about Israel over the years and his um, disdain for Israel. Um, So there is a sense in which for some counsel it may very well be personal, for others it may very well be a brief. Uh, In terms of the amounts, one of the questions that I think is worth asking is, well, is it the South African taxpayers paying for this? Um, Is there some ulterior motive? Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist um, and I think But it's worth asking the question, does the ANC have something to gain in uh, running litigation like this on behalf of South Africa? Um, An election is coming around the corner. Uh, We know that some of the money that wound up in Sauron Pauza's couch um, came from, I think it came from Sudan, from a Sudanese businessman. Is South Africa receiving funds? Um, Is there a quid pro quo going on for running this litigation? That's something that's worth asking. Um, Obviously, I don't know the answer to it. Advocates, on that note,
0: We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon and for spending so much time to chat to us about uh, your thoughts on uh, today's hearings. South Africa's genocide case against uh, Israel in the International Court of Justice. Advocate Mark Oppenheimer, practicing advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar.